0: Hey, Tom, hey. hey guys. Good morning. Welcome to our first ever Flack and Fubar podcast. It's the show where we talk about guns, collecting, history, and pretty much whatever is on our minds. That's the way we like it. We are brought to you by our sister website, Legacy Collectibles. Do you want to own a piece of the history we talk so much about? Check out Legacy Collectibles. They're a top uh, online retailer of premier military firearms and collectibles. Specializing in World War II German pistols, Legacy Collectibles has a comprehensive and user-friendly website where you can browse a large array of authentic, original, and rare military artifacts. Visit www.legacy-collectibles.com to start collecting.
1: Now, hold on a minute. Yes. I have one correct... I was told I'm, I'm, I go way back on the internet okay. when it first came out. I was told you don't have to put www anymore. You, you probably don't. You could just So it. it's just legacy collectibles.com.
0: Sure. Or you could just Google us. I'm sure you will find it. What's the good? No, never mind. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, which many of you are watching us on right now. Uh, if you haven't seen us there already, check out Legacy Collectibles on YouTube. And that one's easy. Because you can just search for Legacy Collectibles. We'll pop up. (laughs) YouTube.com? Yes. (laughs) HTTPS. All right, well, welcome, Tom. Welcome, everybody who's listening. Um, So, for our first episode, I thought I've compiled some questions, and they're going to be softballs, hopefully. And essentially, it's going to be a chance for us to get to know you, Tom, as the owner of Legacy Collectibles. And uh, for the listeners to get a chance to know us and get an answer to a few simple collecting guns history questions. Does that sound good? Sounds fine to me. Okay. All right. So the first question is, let's start talking about how you started Legacy Collectibles, the business. At the same time, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you started collecting.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I might as well start from the beginning, which is how I started collecting. Um, I think I say this on one of my YouTube uh, videos, just as an aside. It's kind of, uh, I think it's humorous now. Um, I paid my way through school by uh, working at Publix down in Florida. Mm-hmm. So, Well, they're in several southern states now, but most people know Publix. I worked in the meat department, spent a lot of my time slicing deli lunch meat. I don't know what I made back then. It was probably something like $2 an hour and um, I started going to gun shows in Florida, and uh, kudos to Florida, I mean, I didn't really know about gun shows living in Pennsylvania, but when I went down uh, and lived in Florida for four years, I would see these signs for gun shows, and I just thought it was fascinating. Now, I wanna clarify from the beginning, and I I probably will say this many times as we do videos, Um, I'm not a hunter, I really don't shoot, I go to the range maybe twice a year, but I absolutely love history, and when you study history, history is the the story of wars. I mean, you basically you learn the Revolutionary War, then you do eighteen twelve, then you do the Civil War. You spend very little time in between the wars, so history is just the history of wars um, throughout our history. So when you study history, the the thing, the one thing that stands out, you know, a, a, you know, in uh, Germany it was the German Luger, in America it's the nineteen eleven cult, and so. It was history that drove me to go to gun shows. I f- I bought my first gun when I was a freshman in college. I went to a gun show and I <laughs> I laugh about it now, but you just walked up. There was no there's no background check. So this is the 70s. Mm-hmm. I just walk up to a table and I say, "How much for the Luger?" And the guy said, "I I probably spent 150 bucks Jeez. for for my first Luger." And I don't remember what it was, but it was Nazi. It was a Nancy. It was a Nancy Luger. <laughs> Nazi. <Nasty. laughs> so I bought my first Luger, and I, I was so proud of it, and um, for good reason. I mean, everybody listening say, "Oh my gosh!" Either you wish you had your first Luger, or you remember when you bought your first Luger. Mm-hmm. But I first bought my first Luger. Of course, it went back to the dorm, showed everybody there. But I took it to work the next day because there's a guy there that I had become close to, Al. Uh, who was much older than me, but he—he, he, I said, oh, I bought a Luger. He said, oh, I'd love to see it. So I showed it to him, and he said, you know, what do you want for it? I said, ah, oh, I just bought it. And he goes, what do you want for it? I said, 300 bucks. <laughs> so, so I doubled my money in <laughs> a, a couple of days, and the light bulb went off that, wow, not only was this fun, but I can make money. Mm-hmm. So it, and, um, it doesn't always work out that way. And as you know, I, I'm, I probably made a lot of mistakes along the way. But that was the beginning of me buying. For the most part, I bought Walther's and Lugers. Loved the PPKs, loved the PPs. I didn't, I didn't know the difference between a, a Nazi gun and a commercial gun. Um, Now I talk about it, teach other people about that. But I had to learn just by going to shows and talking to people. And so I I bought guns. Um, I did take, like most people, um, I I hear people's story all the time. say, you know, I started out, I had these guns, um, but then I just stopped for about 10 years. Usually uh, when I got married, had young kids, I couldn't spend money on guns uh, when I was focused on feeding my family and paying my mortgage so there was a period of time where I really laid off. And it wasn't until I had discretionary money again. So the kids are now raised, my business, uh, I started a counseling practice. So I finished college. I started a counseling pac- practice. And, you know, counseling and collecting guns didn't go well together. So it—you know, I almost lived a double life for a while. I did uh, gun shows on the weekends and did counseling during the week. And I worked with 80% women who were, you know, very, you know, liberal social workers who cared a lot about people's feelings, and that's the way it should be. Um, But I I definitely wouldn't talk about Nazi guns at work. And I kept the two very, very separate. Mm -hmm. And I would say back in those days, most people would have been shocked if they learned that I was a gun collector. Kind of funny now because I meet people, and I'm just, like, shocked at this, you know, this doctor, heart surgeon (laughs) – I meet this heart surgeon, and he goes, "Oh, I collect guns." I'm like,
0: "What? <laughs> yeah, Don't expect it." <laughs> no, I don't. So
1: anyway, I didn't. I kept the two worlds apart, um, and so to make a, I make a really long story. I, I uh, ran a counseling practice for about 25 years, included a drug and alcohol program. I had uh, intensive mental health um, uh, counseling centers. Uh, we did eating disorders. Uh, you know, a lot of trauma and abuse. Um, but mostly I did uh, marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. So I like to say, you know, we try plan A, which is marriage counseling, and if that doesn't work, we sell you a gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, a good idea. So I, I, uh, after 25 years of counseling and collecting guns, um, I of course cl- I didn't sell much, so I collected more and more and more. Uh, the better the business did, uh, the more guns I bought, I remember my wife one time saying, how many guns do you need to own? And I said, how many pair of shoes do you need to own?
0: <laughs> one more. One, always one more. Yeah, I
1: just need one more pair of shoes. That's so right. I, um, so, yeah, I collected guns. It was it, it did cause some friction. And, and I say that because we do get collectors who will say, hey, listen, you know, when you send the gun, don't put a receipt. <laughs> my wife thinks it was $200. <laughs> right. um, it does. It did cause friction when it wasn't my business. Mm-hmm. Um, where I would just every weekend come home with more guns and I just was, you know, they're all over the house and she was wondering what the heck is going on here. Right. Until one time I went to the uh, Louisville show. You've been there. Mm -hmm. The SOS show of shows. And, uh, I, this time I took a bunch of guns. I bought a bunch of guns. Uh, I, I, the first time I had my first time I had a table, I, I bought a table, I set up and I brought a bunch of high end guns.
0: Okay.
1: I went home from that show. Went uh, at the kitchen counter. I said, "Hey, honey, come here." I threw down fifty thousand dollars in cash, <laughs> oh. and I said, "You want half?" <laughs> From that day on, she never asked me again. Never complained. About <laughs> never complained about it. About it. She yeah. said, "I don't know what you do, <laughs> but you're bringing yeah. home cash." Yeah, um, honey, I
0: want a new car. Could you go to a gun show for me? <laughs>
1: Um. And so I, I what I'm getting to is I sold my practice right. and at the time I sold my practice I had 20 locations and 200 therapists so this wasn't people say you know you sell a psychology practice it doesn't sound like a big deal but it was a big deal we actually sold to a a hospital program they owned hospitals and they wanted my referral base meaning people come in for drug and alcohol or mental health um, and they want to refer them to the hospital so I sold to a hospital group and uh, I th- uh, the, the, another great story. <laughs> this podcast is working out. I thought, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> this is a great story. So I'm, I'm uh, doing the negotiations, and we're going back and forth. We get down to the day before we settle mm-hmm. on the sale of my business. Now, of course, I'm already spending the money in my head, so I wasn't going to back out. Right. But I, I'm getting to the settlement table. I have about a day away, and they spring this one on me. They say, by the way, you're going to have to sign a three-year non-compete. Mm. I am, what does that mean well you can't you can't do anything in the counseling business for the next three years i said that is not going to work for me make it 10 or we don't have a deal <laughs> and they, they just looked at me like what and yeah. because i already had my my plan was um my son kurt was going to temple and he was he was studying e-commerce and he said hey dad why don't we take your your hobby uh and make it into a business and he mm-hmm. said i'll build the website you buy the guns i'll put them on the internet we'll sell them and so i already had a a plan you know i i thought right. as soon as i sell this this practice i'm going to start like see, we picked the name uh he started designing the website i i just figured i figured you know if i sell a hundred thousand dollars per year mm-hmm. in guns i'll be happy yeah um so, and the rest is history i sold sold my business in twenty twelve and started legacy collectibles uh so we're what eight years into it and it's just phenomenal. We have five employees, and uh a hundred thousand a a year is more like a hundred thousand every couple of weeks so. <laughs> wow so no, it's it's going great i feel actually i feel very very blessed I'm doing what i enjoy mm-hmm. and um i you know, back in the day I remember uh, we'd go home every day feeling like I helped somebody. Yeah. Um I helped marriages, I helped people stay alive, I helped people get clean and sober. And selling guns in the beginning, you know, I thought I don't I don't get a lot out of this, but I have to say um over these past 8 years I've gotten to know so many really cool people. And I still help people. It's just in a different way. People, right. as you know, they email us every day. Can you help me out? Uh, I, you know, I inherited this or I, I'm looking at this. Can you tell me what it is? What is it worth? And helping people, educating people. I, I don't get the same sense as I did when I saved somebody's life. But right. I do go home at the end of the day feeling like, oh, wow, I get to help people <laughs> and I do what I love. So, um, Thanks for asking that question. I don't, yeah. I don't get to tell my story very often, that but I'm happy to do so.
0: So what, is that your favorite part of the job now?
1: Uh, is what part?
0: The, <laughs> the sort of, I don't know, helping people, meeting cool people. Um, is it, uh, no, what do you like most about yeah, working at uh, Legacy?
1: I would say buying. Mm. I love buying because, you know, you don't make your uh, – somebody – a wise guy behind the table once said to me at a gun show when I was a young lad, you don't make money on the sell. You make the money on the buy. So buying right, you can always sell it at, you know, sell it at retail or even below retail if you buy it right. Um, right. So for me, buying buying things right um, – that just gives me a lot of joy and then of course i bring it in i dump it in the middle of the floor and then you guys have at it and load it up on the website and we do great if i buy it right if i overpay and we have people who call us up say hey i got this luger i want to sell it i go yeah it's great luger you know we could do 2500 oh i paid 45 well that's not my problem (laughs) problem. not mine though (laughs) and not my problem so yeah probably my favorite part is um buying it used to be going to shows but since COVID, i haven't been to a show in over a year uh, it's been a year uh, yeah. last february so it's been over i don't know what, what day is it i have no idea it's been a long it's been a long time. i haven't been to any shows but i do uh you know i can still do auctions and we get a ton of people because of the youtube videos uh we get a ton of people who write to us every single day saying i have this gun would you be interested in buying it
0: yeah i mean let's talk a little bit about that i guess I, not that People aren't completely tired of hearing about COVID at this point, but, um, you want to talk a little bit about how, I mean, everybody knows that gun sales have been through the roof since COVID hit. Um, whether that's people are freaking out and and feel like they're never going to get them again, or if it's a, uh, you know, lack of inventory type thing, but the reality is gun sales are very high. Um. Talk about specifically in the gun market or the collectible gun market—is that the same trend or is it slightly different? What is your perception of that?
1: Our sales are definitely through the roof. Um, so there's a couple things going on, and having told my psychology background, I, I always I don't analyze people, but I do look at every situation kind of like through a psychological lens. And so, why did people hoard toilet paper? when and by the way i heard it's now that it's resurging they're hoarding toilet paper again (laughs) why do people do that and um you know psychologists come up with well they feel like they're not in control and this is one thing i can what if i can't get out some people just go to worst case scenarios sure so there's an element of that um where because of covid people are they're bored they're at home looking for something to do i know i'll get online and i'll watch this video and then i'll listen to this podcast and then and one thing leads to another, and then they buy things. Honestly, they don't need. Now, I know I shouldn't say that uh, because it's my job is right? My job is to sell them a gun. But the yeah. truth, and, and and you know, you've heard I've told people, um, I have people call and say, "I can either fix the leaky roof or I can buy this gun." I yeah, say, fix the leaky roof. Yeah, don't buy exactly. it. you don't need this gun. Yeah, well, we're um, guilty
0: of the same thing. I mean, you and I, in our own ways, will buy something we don't really need in this time of COVID. Yeah, because you are sitting there and and you are shopping. I mean, right There's not what else is there to do, so Com- it's not like yeah. we're blaming people right. or uh judging them, and we're all doing the same thing
1: right It's comfort food and in this case, it's comfort items, it makes me feel good to buy these, so that's a part of it um. Some of it is people do think it's the end of the world as we know it. There's sure. a song like that, I think. I think so. I won't play it. <laughs> um, yeah, we'd have to pay our bills. Yeah, royalty. I think you have to get the rights. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they think it's the end of the world. Um, sure. Another reason is because of the YouTube videos. I mean, I, I, um, for me to go to a gun show and have access to 1,000 people, go by my table and take a look, that would be huge. Right. Um, and I do a video, and almost instantly 30,000 people watch it. Right. And uh, over time, I have videos near a million views, so uh, I'm getting to a lot more people, which makes the phones ring. So that that that's part of it. Um, people, uh, and the third a third factor is the politics. Um, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, we live in uncertain times. Uh, if people are rioting, upset, uh, what's the future of our country? People uh, get worried, they get nervous, and they want to. Well, I better buy a gun just in case. Um, sure. Which goes back to the collect, so you asked specifically not so much about buying guns because the truth is daggers are selling better and armbands are selling better and metals. and So it's not just the gun factor, but it's hard assets. You know, in, in troubled times, people buy used to buy gold and silver. They still do, mm-hmm. um, but they also buy hard assets, things that are tangible. I own this and it's worth something, and uh, I sure hope it's worth more five years from now.
0: Sure. So. Um, just kind of going back a little bit, you started talking about what you first started collecting. You talked about Lugers, Walther's, uh, for the people listening, of course I already know, (laughs) but for the people listening, is that what you still collect? And what, what, (laughs) every day, (laughs) (laughs) um, kind of pinpoint that for people. Like what, what do you like to collect still? Are you still collecting at what rate? Tell people about that. Okay.
1: Um, I just had an engraved PPK come in today. And if you watch my videos, I, 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 I look and I go, I can't sell this. I can't, I need it. Um, right. I don't, I, you know, I have a dozen in the safe, so I don't yeah. really need it, but, um, yeah, it still gives me great pleasure <laughs> to go home at the end of the day to add something to my collection. Sure. Um, but I also pull them out from time to time. If I, if I get to know a person, um, you know, I, I sell them something, and they're very grateful. And and I hope the listeners hear this part. They're respectful <laughs> <laughs> and grateful. Yeah. But then I, and I'm motivated to do it. You know, I, I, they say, hey, if you ever get an XYZ, I'm looking for one. I go home that day, and I think, you know what? I, I got one in the safe. I could pull it out. It's no big deal. Um, and so I do that. Uh, but it, it's it's really about building the relationship, and you want to do business with somebody. They, you know, they feel the same way about us. I, yeah. I, I was doing business. Well, I said we've been doing this eight years. We've only been doing the YouTube channel for one year, and people now will they'll they'll write to us and say, "I'm sending you my my collection because I saw you on YouTube and I feel like I can trust you." Right. There's a connection that people make, and so business is about building relationships. I said very early on, you know, I could hit you really hard on a sale. You know, I just gouge you and make a ton of money. But sooner or later, even if you're totally thrilled, sooner or later, you figure out that I gouged you. Yeah. And so I make one quick hit, and then you're done. But if I can do a fair deal, and by the way, uh, I th- we put in every email, we'll say the retail value is 2500 and we buy at about 20% off. That's my profit margin. It's about 20%. It's not sure. 100%. Uh, sometimes I only make 10, and sometimes I make 50 But our goal is we want to make about 20%, and so we will offer you retail minus 20%, um, and then we might put it on for a little bit higher, but that's because people haggle and they want to trade, and so then you have to work for your money. Um, But your question was, do I still collect? Yes, I still collect, um, but what intrigues me lately is... Um, I did learn Walters and Luger's really well, and therefore you get to you start collecting more and more obscure variations. So once you have, I have a military, I have a commercial, and I have a police. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the big three. But now I have a ra- in the radio. Remember the radio show? PP <laughs> went to the propaganda ministry. There's these obscure variations that there's only ten of them in the world, right. and I want that one. So there's always more to collect. And you can never have too many RZMs um, or party leaders. But then there's also the thrill of, I'm looking right here on the shelf and there's an M1 carbine. I absolutely love the M1 carbines. Um, I'm, small, I'm a smaller guy. I'm, I'm only 5'7". And so, you know, if I take a grand out, it about knocks my shoulder. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm knocked backwards. 30-06. Uh, yeah. And uh, I take that uh, carbine. I just love the way it shoots and mm-hmm. the way it feels and it's smooth and it's reliable. So I start collecting carbines. And yeah. so, you know, I, I basically have expanded into Colts and learned more about them. I don't know Win, Winchesters yet. I think they're really, really cool. Yeah. But I don't know them and so I see a $500 Winchester and I see a $5000 Winchester and I can't tell you the difference. <laughs> right, right. So I know I shouldn't go out buying them because I go, "Oh, it was only $500." <laughs> yeah. And it's worth 200. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I'm I'm starting to collect new things, um but I'm always filling I'm always putting things in the safe and I'm always taking things out of the
0: safe. Okay. And that is a great segue to my next question. Mhm. Which is, okay, you you pick something up at a gun show, somebody emails you, you buy it, uh, you fall in love with the gun, enough to buy it for presumably thousands of dollars, right? This stuff is not always cheap. And you keep it for a while. Sort of when do you get rid of it? Or asked a different way, how do you decide when it's time to get rid of something? Um, I'm not a... I don't have enough money to collect guns yet, so I don't. I don't. I have never recycled a collection. So you, as a person who has recycled their collection and many items from it, when do you make that decision? How do you make that decision?
1: Um, sometimes it depends on your personality. Uh, we have one collector who buys things, and they get old really fast. Meaning, he buys things, and then after two months, eh, I'm tired of it. Mm. Um, some people will say the thrill—it's uh, the thrill of the hunt. You know, I—I'm—I'm I'm out. I'm not collecting. I'm hunting. Right. So they—they they buy it because they found it and they enjoy it for a couple of months and then they say I'm done with it okay. and they'll bring it to us. So they're they're one of our favorite guys <laughs> <laughs> it's In fact, people will say, uh, "Do you have a nine millimeter PPK?" And I—I—I I, I do. I just sold it, but it'll be back in two months. <laughs> yeah. I'll ask around. <laughs> it'll be back. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I—I I, I think. It's it's kind of a gut feeling. I, I buy it because I just think it's gorgeous, or it just really speaks to me. The history speaks to me, and sure. I, and um, so I'll keep them. I usually keep them for a couple of years, um, and when they don't speak to me anymore, is when I've had it for a long time. I've got I've got better guns since then, right. so it, it really becomes a matter of my safe is full. And if I had to get rid of 10, which 10 would I get rid of? It's the ones that speak to me the le- least. So this one, eh, I don't know what I was thinking when I bought it. So, yeah, yeah a couple of years, and then I'll go with the safe and dig one out. But there's some uh, – I sold um, – one of our videos is the Buchenwald engraved. Right. I say on that video that I bought this gun. Um, I didn't know the history. I didn't know the connection that it was found at Buchenwald. It's an engraved PP. Uh, and that, that that one is – over half a million views. And I said, I sold it to a friend of mine. And again, he came to me and we, were, we, we, we weren't we were in a relationship. Please don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> he was a friend of mine. And he just said, oh, I really want an engraved. I really want it. Yeah. And begged and begged and begged sure. and begged and he didn't have the money for it so it was like i'll trade you three apples and and a mcdonald's coupon and i got this and i got some thumbtacks in my pocket can yeah, i we yeah. please trade long story short i i helped him out and he got this engraved and then he was a uh, wasn't a detective but he worked for a he worked for a lawyer and they tracked down people okay. and so he was he had access to this software they you actually pay for this software to track people down and right. he found the original owner of this gun and the, and before the guy died, his, on his deathbed, wrote that you know the, I got this from a pilot who was flying dignitaries into Bougainville, and he got it from Bougainville, and he told me the story, and I was like, crap, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe I sold him that gun. Yeah. And about uh, it was like maybe four years went by, and he lost his job, and he was on more difficult times, and he said, hey, would you like to buy it back? So I would, I was like, would I? Now, he made a tidy profit, but I wanted it, and yeah. So I paid it. So the whole reason I'm telling you that story is, I was driving home, got a voicemail, and it was from a collector, and you would know who it was. And they said, I watched that video. What do you want? Mm-hmm. And um, now, actually, he left a message. So he said, What do you want? Right. Whatever it takes. What you know? I want the. I want that gun. And um i i slept on it i thought i don't you know i slept on it and i woke up the next day and i said you know i waited i sold this once and i kicked myself i waited four years to get it back i'm not going to sell it again what you know what am i going to do with the money put it in the bank i the the gun uh, brings me memories it brings me history it gives me pleasure i can't i can't there's not nothing you know unless he had something with even more history i i Probably will never let go of it. Now it'll go to my son one day and then he'll just,
0: and he'll throw it out. He'll now he'll,
1: he'll sell it. to <laughs> The first guy that comes along and then go to the casinos. Yeah. Just, yeah. just kidding. Love my son. He yeah. would not do that, but we joke all the time. He says, dad, I'm just going to squander, you,
0: squander, <laughs> gonna throw it out. <laughs> I'm going to
1: squander your collection. Your so, life's work. Now all the listeners, they want to get to know Kurt. So yeah. when yeah. I'm gone, yeah, exactly. they can be on the, in on the squandering. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so you've talked about this specific gun several times. Uh, for those of you who are watching and found us on YouTube, you know what this gun is. But Tom, just for people who are listening, real quick, what what is this gun you're talking about? The Bougainville gun.
1: So it's factory engraved. It was owned by a German officer, and he. It's pre- a Walther PP. Though. It's a Walther PP that okay. is factory engraved, and uh, in you know my. F- Forensic, I don't know for sure, but kind of reenacting the history of it. He had to have come from a wealthy family because this was not something a common soldier would have been issued or owned unless, you know, maybe a family member had it, um, you know, bought it and gave it to him as a gift or he bought it for himself. But it's a it's a high end um, factory engraved Walder PP. And uh, it was taken off of a uh, SS officer at Buchenwald.
0: Right. So it's a World War II era. Any idea when it was made?
1: Um, I believe it was made in about 1940. Okay. And then captured um, by an American pilot in 1945 when they liberated the the prisoner of work. No, excuse me. When they liberated the concentration camp.
0: Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> yeah, for those of you who, who don't know our YouTube channel, go check that out. We have a whole video Um, where we show some close-ups of that gun and tell the story of of Buchenwald. Um, That's another great segue. Just great segue Mm. after great segue. (laughs) Um, For those of you who don't know what we do that much, we sell collectible firearms, as I already mentioned, and we specialize in World War II German pistols, really, German pistols and rifles. But we do sell and collect pretty much anything with a historical mm-hmm. uh, significance, also just you know collectible guns in general. Um, talk to people. Let me say this first. It has made people squirrely in the past, the fact that uh, we do collect Nazi artifacts, I will mm-hmm. call them. They're firearms, but um, you'll see that we'll collect, like, a pin every once in a while, a flag, a dagger um explain to people and to me how you justify collecting something associated with uh the Nazi regime the third reich how do you justify that
1: um well i don't justify it cuz it's none of anybody's business but i do have to feel good about myself sure um and i don't have a problem with it because as i said for me it's about history it's not about honoring the Nazis. It's not about shooting people. It's not keeping, you know, I wonder how many people and people, you know, from YouTube that people comments, Oh, how many, I wonder how many people were killed with this. I I mean, I I hate to even think about it, but what I think about is what this represents. And this is a part of our history. Um, it's also true that why are Nazi guns so much, you know, more collectible, um, you know I think World War One was basically pretty boring uh people they they just know people fought in trenches, but they wouldn't even know what would you collect or right um, it doesn't have the same the same nostalgia um but for some reason, the Nazi era and the Nazis in particular—they had parades, they had jack boots, they had Hugo Boss uniforms. Um, they look sharp. Everything in the American Army was drab green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a Colt forty-five is a Colt forty-five. But when you start looking at some of the German daggers, I mean, they had parade daggers and they had swords and they had gold-plated this and they had beautiful guns with all kinds of Nazi markings on them and a lot of swastikas. It was much more ornate. Sure, um, There's so many variations. Again, unlike the American army, there's this, there's a, there's a 1911 cult and there's a 1911 cult a one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's not a lot of, uh, it, it's, it's not as exciting. Uh, actually the word I would, it's sexy. It's, it's sure. really sexy. it it's got a really cool appeal. Now um, I do get asked that question though. Like, well, how can you collect Nazi stuff? So for me personally, throughout history, when people conquered a, a, another tribe, another village, they took their stuff. It was called yeah. pillaging. We'll leave out the rape part, but it was called. <laughs> you would, you know, and, and, and In fact, if you read the Old Testament, it was like they went in, they took everything. They, yeah. they killed the men, they took the women, and took the children, made them into slaves, and they took all their stuff. Now, I'm right. not advocating that, but I'm just saying it's human nature that when you take on a people— um, that one of the things you do is you bring home souvenirs, you take their stuff. And there's no getting around that. It's, uh, I'm not, that's what I can't justify. I say, well, people shouldn't steal. Um, yeah. Well, they shouldn't, but you're not going to let them keep their weapons. Um, so we took their weapons. And uh, in Germany in particular, they were afraid. The SS actually had a plan to retreat to the Alps. And rearm the, the, you know, basically rearm the population and go through a guerrilla warfare, which would have been devastating for the United States. But right. um, when we took over a town, one of the things they did is they collected all the guns and um, many officers allowed the men to pick out one or two souvenirs and the rest were destroyed. So the guys picked out stuff and they took it home. And these are souvenirs from the war and they're highly collectible. So, um, you know for me it it's the history it's the fact that a gi this is a souvenir of his service and if you watch band of brothers throughout the throughout many of the episodes they say i want a luger i want a luger i want to take a luger home and i think the guy finally got a luger and he shot himself in the leg with it by accident <laughs> but the the point of it was the gis were looking for souvenirs and they particularly wanted to bring home a luger or in some cases a p38 or a walther um one more, you know, one more factor, and that is um, uh, one of our biggest buyers is Jewish. And I've had other Jewish people say, you know, I, I, I collect Nazi stuff and I feel really bad. I can't tell anybody. And uh, so I, I, I've I asked Jewish people, you know, when you collect Nazi stuff, what does that mean to you? And they they have said the best way to show dominance over an ideology. Basically, screw screw you. We took your stuff. Yeah. So when when it's it's a way of demonstrating we conquered you and I have this used to belong to you and now it's mine. Sure. And so there's a, that feeling of dominance over an ideology or over a people. And in this case, it shows our dominance over the Nazi regime.
0: Yeah. I think one of the words you used that resonated with me was souvenir. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like um every time I pick up a Walther PPK what's what's not going through my head is this I'm supporting a Nazi ideology or like yay for them for what they did. Right right. right. You're sort of I think there's in this innate human desire to want to feel connected to what happened. I mean it's like it's part of a extremely pivotal, important part of human history that we just want to feel connected to. I mean, in a very simple sense and collecting it, like I said, it's not supporting it. It's collecting it. It's, it's taking possession of, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, so we get that collect question a lot, but I was curious to hear you Mm -hmm. say that.
1: Well, and to make it even more specific, uh, the word souvenir is like um, if I brought back a coin that was blank. I went to see the um, I went to see the Statue of Liberty, Liberty, and I brought back a coin sure. and it's blank. That's a souvenir. No. But what a souvenir would be was a coin with the Statue of Liberty on it. Sure. So you bring back a coin or a flag with a swastika on it. That, by definition, shows you don't have to – if if I get an unknown flag, it's just an unknown flag, and I bring it home. What's that? It's a flag I got from <laughs> yeah. the war. Well, what yeah. war? What, yeah, what, what exactly. But when you bring back a swastika, nobody has to ask, where did it come from? Sure, sure. <laughs> so the dominance and the souvenir piece of it is something that is Nazi, we conquered it. I took it, and look what I have. Yeah, I think that's really cool.
0: Um, have you been to the Holocaust Museum recently?
1: I've not. Yeah,
0: I went um, a couple years ago, and I get more of a feeling. It's like uh, they. I mean, it's amazing. It's it's such a uh, impactful place to be, but they have like the exhibit set up to give you an emotional reaction to the Holocaust is really powerful, but it's interesting. Like when I'm removed from that type of setting and I have like a Nazi flag that I'm going to list, for example, um, I don't get the same feeling as when I'm like immersed and and involved, like in that human emotion. I don't, I don't know. It's, it seems different to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that's interesting. You have a, a different emotional reaction depending on, um, what kind of setting you're in, or what what type of headspace you're in. So I think it's all about how you perceive it. I mean, if you're a person who supports Nazi ideology, then you probably have it, and you're proud of it, which we don't agree with. But
1: right. In fact, if you're going to comment and say something about glorifying the Nazis, I, I'll, I'm going to block you. I I don't want to glorify the Nazis, and I don't want any racist rants as part of our um, as part of our our um, comment. Um, but certainly uh, honoring the troops, honoring our soldiers, honoring um, people who died for their country. Um, you know, it's just there There are things that are honorable, and then there's some things that are disgraceful. And I, I I, just need to make sure that, you know, I personally don't run into neo-Nazis in this hobby. I know they're out there. I yeah, personally don't run into them. I, I guess they come to gun shows, but I can't say, oh, yeah, I ran into them. I, I just don't see that. But people who don't go – I mean, you know, I tell people I go to gun shows. Oh, how can you stand to be around all those neo-Nazis? I I don't see any. I see a bunch of old guys. (laughs) I see a bunch of old guys collecting guns. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's a very non-threatening environment. I don't think people realize
1: that. Now it's a very friendly environment. Yeah, if I were a a beautiful woman, I don't know that I would go. No. (laughs) They will follow you around. It's like zombies. (laughs) Yeah, they're just following behind Yeah. Anyway, we to change topics real
0: fast. Let's, let's <laughs> change topics. Um, what else did I want to ask you about? Okay, so that was going over the Nazi stuff. I mean, one of the things that I've always appreciated um, since I started working here, which was only a couple years ago, um, you know, before this, uh, for those of you listening, I used to be a, a financial advisor. So this is completely different from mm-hmm. what I used to do. Um, but one of the things I appreciated about Tom when I met him is that, uh, Tom, I feel like you've always been focused on, um, like preserving the history, and that was like sort of your number one. It wasn't like just about collecting Nazi stuff or hoarding this or that. It was about preserving the best artifacts of history, and that's what we do as Legacy Collectibles. That's what makes my job fun, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and being able to put that on YouTube is part of what we do, and it's uh, immortalized. So
1: if yeah, and uh, some of our. Some of my favorite videos are when we, we find a gun that was brought back by a GI and then we dig into his history and we memorialize uh, our vet uh, yeah. by telling their story, talking about their family, what, what, uh, what, act, what campaigns they're in. And so there's, uh, there's a couple that are really exceptional and, and moving. And we're looking for more like that. If, right. or if, you know, if listeners or viewers have a story they, they would like told, especially if there's a souvenir – to go with it we tell the story we show the souvenir and we honor the vets um and that's true for other countries as well as, as well it's not just in the united states that we have heroes throughout throughout and i think of how much the russians suffered during the war sure. and uh like no other people they lost more they more people died uh in in russian military and civilians than any other country
0: yeah it's pretty staggering actually i forget what the uh, stats are. I can, yeah, I'm going to look that up while yeah, you're talking. Yeah, we have
1: it on one of our videos. So, Brandy, go back and watch the video.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> I just don't oh, know. That was that. about
1: the TT. Uh, we did a video, and actually the listeners could go to uh, our uh, YouTube channel, and the TT33 was uh, the, the souvenir that we had, and we talked about the, the Russian sidearm and how many Russians died.
0: Yeah, I'm going to look it up now. It, it says was, a, a total of 85 million people. And there was a graphic. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, is this in millions? Yes, it is. Oh, so twenty-four million, uh, roughly twenty-four million Soviets died. Yeah, that's military and civilian. That's un- that's
1: unbelievable. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so um, let's go back to collecting and, and not about Nazi stuff anymore. Um, so. I'm a collector. I like guns. I like shooting. Um, I want to start collecting guns. Maybe there's something I'm interested in, Um, but you as a as a you've been collecting over 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say I only have $500 to spend. What is your recommendation on the best gun to look for, or like what what would you recommend that I start? trying to collect
1: um well certainly a gun with some history sure um and you know people will tell me oh i love glocks and th- that's fine but they're a modern gun and they just keep making more and more and more so i i try to find something they don't make anymore and there are uh, less expensive guns guns with history um you know in the in the cult world some of the little you know the little uh 25 caliber colts that they don't make anymore and the history is you know they uh, were used by the cowboys, or it was used uh, in World War One or Two, or the gangsters that used it. You know, just any, yeah. a gun with a little bit of history, and go with condition. Uh, you are not going to get a pristine gun for five hundred dollars, but something that is original, finished, not refinished. Right. Uh, you want original finished, and you want to avoid any kind of pitting. Now, if it's got little pinpricking, uh, that's pretty normal, and you're going to get that. In fact, it, like in Navy guns, which are very collectible, they went out to sea, and they're going to have a little bit of pinpricking. But, you know, if there's deep pits into the um, metal, uh, we consider that cancer in the uh, in the collecting world it's like saying he's fine he just has a little bit of cancer yeah yeah. (laughs) it's not fine (laughs) exactly (laughs) um but you know so when people show me a gun say isn't this curl, it's really it's really uh it's all original, it's really cool. And I'm like, Yeah, but what about those deep pits yeah. into the metal? Anyway, so uh, for five hundred bucks, uh, you're gonna be limited as to what you can buy. You know what I like is those little like little mausers, the little baby mausers. Yeah, you can get them yeah. for five hundred bucks. And they're from the twenties, so you got some history there. Um, they're probably not military marked, but they're cute little guns. And uh, and they do continue to go up in value. I I can remember buying them at three fifty, then four fifty, then five fifty, and really minty ones were selling at six fifty, mm-hmm. seven fifty. So yeah, so something like that condition, um, originality, and some history. And they don't make them anymore. That's that's important.
0: If if you're listening and you want a concealed carry gun that is historical, and I think Tom, you're going to back me up on this. A Walther Model Nine. Can you imagine? You could put that thing in your sock. Yeah, you (laughs) can't. It's like I have. (laughs) And what is it like? Two and a half, three inches in total. Yeah, it's a tiny little
1: gun. It's twenty-five
0: caliber. It's rifled. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be able to hit someone more than like. What do you think, 10 yards accurately? Uh, for me, one. one. <laughs> <laughs> <Get> <laughs> if you're a really good the shot. The Liberator.
1: If you want to carry a piece, get the Liberator. 45 caliber, yeah. one shot, and you're done, no rifling. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, talk about the Liberator. That's a, what uh, what yeah, is the I Liberator? Would,
1: uh, the Liberator, um, I wish I could show you a picture of it. Uh, we did a video on the Liberator, but it's uh, it's was dropped. Well, uh, the original idea was the forerunner of the CIA was the OSS. Um, Office of Strategic Services. So basically, the CIA was uh, dropping them behind enemy lines. That was the grand plan. They made about a million of them. I think they cost like 30 cents apiece. That's a very cheap little gun. Uh, The idea is that the resistance forces would walk up to the sentry late at night, um, shoot them in the head, and take their machine gun. So it was uh, shoot once and throw it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're very collectible now. They were $0.30, cents, but now I think like a really nice all-original will go for like $1,500.
0: So. Wow. Great, oh, you, great, in great the,
1: investment if you could have gotten a dozen of
0: them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we have a video coming out about that, about an investment gun, right? Uh, yeah. That's coming out. Uh, should be We're still filming, but that'll be out next week at some point if, you, if you're listening and you watch the YouTube channel. We have a gun. I won't say what it is, but it used to be very cheap, and now it's very, very expensive.
1: I think we said it was $15 when they first uh, manufactured them, and now they go for tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, so yeah, worth – you know what? Watching our YouTube can make you money. Yeah, we have a video about that too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, If you're curious as to what that gun is, just hang tight. We'll get the video out next week, Um, but it's a very cool story. It's a Liberator gun. It was like a sheet metal just a yeah. disgusting, yeah. Like uh, it, it, it feels like a toy.
1: Yeah, there's no finish on it, and so it's it's pressed sheet metal.
0: Yeah, I mean, look this thing up, guys. It's it little. It literally looks like you were sent a kit to your house, mm-hmm. and you had to put together a gun, <laughs> which is basically just a trigger. It's a spring. I don't even go trigger. It's a spring with some way to release yeah. the spring and the firing pin yeah. to hit a bullet and go through uh, a barrel and try to kill someone. It's the most crude imagination or version of a gun. And it's it's forty
1: five caliber, which is interesting. Um, And it came with a manual since it was dropped and They used them in Asia, so in China and Philippines and uh, throughout Europe, uh, dropped them behind enemy lines. And so the manual is like cartoon characters of how to load it and how to cock it and then how to... How to fire it to kill yeah. somebody so it's yeah. it's cartoon it's and there's no words on it it's just a cartoon drawing of how to yeah. load the gun and shoot somebody
0: well the and the the philippines in the philippines the police service used those didn't they yeah at the end of while. the war
1: they had no money and so they they these liberators had been dropped throughout the country and most of them not used so the police force uh for a period of time the police uh, in the police in the philippines carried the liberator
0: yeah. as their sidearm <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Nowadays, I guess they would just... The modern version of that, I feel like, would be 3D printing guns. Yeah. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, probably, or a zip gun. I don't even know what a zip gun is, but homemade gun. Yeah, Uh, I mean, like,
0: what would the... Like, there's this huge thing that people are talking about, and it's like, you know, it's like laws around allowing people... I mean, you're obviously, like, not allowed to do this, but laws around printing gun parts with yeah. a 3D printer and then putting together a gun. Um I mean what would that if we had a World War 3 <laughs> in a similar situation what would that look like? I guess the US government just like puts a bunch of uh 3D printers on the corner and just starts pumping out these files yeah. and people are just like you download they, the software Yeah. Frank. yeah in your house. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. Um Anything else you wanted to talk about? I have some other questions, but I feel like we could save them for next week.
1: Uh, yeah, there's a lot that I want to talk about, and um, but I do want to save them, so maybe we can do some teasers. Um, yeah. One of the things I wanted to talk about is getting a CNR uh collector's license you said if somebody. oh that's important
0: let's talk about that now actually no okay. we
1: had to save it because i'm gonna we're gonna to go to the web tell, oh. tell them how to get to the website but you know getting sure. a collector's license it's 30 bucks for two years one transfer is 50 bucks yeah i know so you get unlimited transfers with the cnr and now everybody's out there is saying what i didn't know about well tell me well you're gonna to have to watch the well watch, listen to the next
0: podcast what what makes it even more attractive is the fact that i mean i'm sure everyone listening If you buy guns, I mean, a lot of places aren't even doing transfers right Right. now.
1: You don't need it. You don't, you can buy a gun from us and we ship it direct to you. If you have a CNR, which stands for curios and relics, but let's save that for another. We will uh, podcast. Another one is, um, you know, uh, how do I get a class three license? There's some high end collectors out there who have a bunch of Lugers. Now they want a Thompson or a uh, MP40. Um, getting a class three license what's involved in that so I can you know go to my my uh, uh, the park the little kids park down the street and practice yeah. practice shooting my no I meant target <laughs> shooting I want to go target shoot in the in the local neighborhood and with get, your mp40 and that ain't going to happen and no that, there are a lot of ranges that won't let you use machine guns but there there's plenty of places to shoot a machine gun especially if you live in rural areas yeah and other than being expensive it's not that hard to do if you don't mind waiting for the permit
0: right there's surprisingly few ranges that will let you shoot fully automatic guns. i feel Mm -hmm. like i mean i've tried a lot like organizing bachelor parties and stuff and i just feel like you call these places and they make you they're almost like they make you feel dumb for even asking the question they're like of course we don't let that And i'm like well i mean i have all the they working. Yeah, and the well, I sand, think
1: neighbors neighbors com- uh, complain. So you really need to be. It's either private property or really rural. or if your name is Ian McCollum, who lives, who can go to a desert, the deserts of Arizona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he can do pretty much anything. He can do bazookas and machine guns. Well, he, he's the gun cow.
0: Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> he can do no their- matter what, ha- no matter where he is, what he's shooting. He's
1: yeah, I love to watch his vi- videos when he does the, he the machine gun shoots. He so. has
0: a gift. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up, right?
1: Uh, we got a lot more to talk about, but so you much know what? More. We got to save it. Save it for next time.
0: Yeah. So everybody, we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to try to do it once a week. So, uh, you know, please go on to your wherever you find podcasts and and find us uh, specifically. Uh, we'll be on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Play, iHeartRadio. We're going to get this thing up wherever you can get podcasts and. We'll put a video version out for people on YouTube, but this is good if you want to listen to us. What about the, the
1: Disney Channel? Can we get on the Disney Channel?
0: I I will try. Okay. <laughs> I doubt it. I think we're I think we're out
1: already. Um, maybe ESPN is owned by Disney.
0: Yeah, so we could do that. I think if you say the word Buchenwald, you're <laughs> you're automatically not allowed. <laughs> yeah, you can't on say the, that anything Disney. But yeah, everybody, thanks for, for for listening. Go on and and rate the show. It helps out. And uh, Tom see you talk next week thank you